Welcome back to Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. What you're listening to today, it's a little bit different than the podcast episodes we've shared with you before. This episode, This Person's Story, is a part of Refocused Together, a special series the team at ADHD Online and I have been working on for ADHD Awareness Month. Every day throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing a different person's ADHD story, which is fitting because the theme for ADHD Awareness Month this year is understanding a shared experience. And I can't think of a better way to really get a sense of that shared experience than by telling a different story every single day. And to be clear, yes, that's 31 stories in 31 days. My name is Lindsay Gensel, and along with the team at ADHD Online, I'm so excited to present Refocus Together, a collection of stories aimed at raising awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. When we share stories, it's easier to find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. I'm interviewing people with varying backgrounds, diagnoses, experiences, and perspectives. We'll hear from working parents, advocates, engineers, writers, PhD candidates, and more to learn that while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. This special project is very near and dear to my heart, and although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking. I am so grateful for each person who shared their story with me, and I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. And with that, let's get on to today's episode. Meredith Phillips had a lot of feelings about being formally diagnosed with ADHD in March of 2022, just three months and two days shy of her 35th birthday. What started as relief and validation soon broke open into sadness and anger. So many women like her were discovering that the source of their stress and anxiety and perfectionism was something totally different. Meredith was mad that an entire generation of girls had been lost in the fray, done a disservice and dismissed because their ADHD presented differently than boys during childhood. And still, at the same time as the grief poured out of her, she somehow found herself hopeful for the first time in a long time, actual feelings of real hope that things could be different. Not only did her diagnosis shine a light on all she had accomplished despite her struggles, but it also presented her with new medications, skills, and support. And Meredith found a compassionate community with other women who share later in life diagnoses. Those connections filled with humor and empathy, and of course, so much joy. The kind of peaceful joy that surrounds a person when they realize they are no longer alone. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest on Refocus Together, Meredith Phillips. Meredith, I am so thankful that you were willing to share your story. I think it's so important for all of us with later in life ADHD diagnosis experiences to 
share those because it's one of those scenarios where we don't know what we don't know. And so I'm just very grateful for your willingness to be a part of Refocus Together. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to go back. Your diagnosis happened very recently in the sense that we look at life and, and how it kind of plays out. And if we were to break things down into, into time frames, it, it's been not that long since you were given an ADHD diagnosis. But I'm wondering if we can go back and talk about some of the things that led you to seek out an assessment in the first place. And, and what were some of the things that you were seeing or you were feeling that pushed you to start asking questions? Okay. So, I mean, a lot of it really starts kind of, I guess, three years ago when I was having some some more physical kind of symptoms that I don't think are necessarily related, but were helpful in the sense that they led me down this path. I got to working with an integrative psychiatrist who recommended various things. I feel like if we had carried on, he would have reached the same conclusion at some point, but it just wasn't going very fast. <laughs> you know, um, psychiatrists, they're so busy. It's hard to get in sometimes. But really, <laughs> big surprise, COVID <laughs> threw me for a loop just as much as everybody else, especially those of us with ADHD. I just lost any sort of semblance of structure that I had. and. That was really hard. I didn't hate having to stay inside as an introvert. I kind of loved that part, but it also acted a bit as a mirror to show me where I just was really not succeeding. And that I think combined with some behaviors I had started to recognize in my son, first off, really led me to seek out kind of what this was. So I know we can talk later about kind of what I was seeing in the kids, but I started doing research. That's something I'm really good at <laughs> research. I started doing research on various behaviors, came across ADHD and it had passed my mind in the past for the kids, but it was hard to know what to attribute to just the chaos of the pandemic and the lack of typical schooling and all of that? Or was it something else? So went down that rabbit hole. That's one of my favorite words that I've heard in this community, by the way. I love that. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of the stuff I was reading sounded like it really <laughs> kind of hit home. I was like, wait, what? This sounds like me. And then, uh, you know, along the lines, I found the statistics about the kids and the parents and the likelihood and the heritability and all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe this is worth looking into because having had anxiety for the past several years, having gone through postpartum and overcoming that, but just never really having any medication type of therapy scratch the surface of that anxiety, that as well led me to think, well, maybe it's just all wrong. So I went to ADHD online. I found that just through Google searches and decided that that looks like the best option for me. Uh, I went back and looked at this actually earlier because I was curious. I 
had first started my application on March 2nd and I, it was very long. It's a, it's a lot to fill out. And so I was like, I don't have time. I'm tired. Got distracted, completely forgot about it for until, well, two weeks or so. I can't do math. Three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. Uh, because I came back to it on March 23rd. It had been long enough that I did not remember my password. So I had to reset my password and I did go ahead and finish it that day at about 1130 at night. And then I woke up <laughs> to a diagnosis. So it must not have been very difficult for the um, physician to make that, that call based on what he had seen. So yeah. There's so much that I want to touch on. And I love the fact that you saw and knew about the genetic connection, because I think that's actually been a huge push for a lot of parents that combined with the pandemic you know, we're learning so much more every single day. And I think it's very easy for us to forget that psychology and what we know about the human brain is actually very new. So I'm curious, as you were going through the assessment, were there any things that stood out that you were being asked or that were particularly hard for you to kind of dive into? Things that really stood out... Um, I know it's not technically on the, you know, the DSM five like criteria, but the, the concept of this rejection sensitivity, that was big. (laughs) Again, I know it's not technically on there, but I think most, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists see there's a bit of a connection. That was huge. The inability to follow routines, but also needing routines, (laughs) all of these, all of these, um, what's the word? just contradictions. It was just like ticking off a list. The, hmm, for me at the time, a lot of it was just down to all of the various types of executive dysfunction and how that comes out. I mean, I remember one point thinking, maybe this is why I was never able to schedule play dates. You know, felt guilty for being this kind of mom that just wasn't doing what society said you need to be doing for your kids. <laughs> uh, and I had the, the pandemic by the time they were five to kind of blame that on. <laughs> but I remember just that coming to mind and thinking, wow, okay. <laughs> um, that seems a bit superficial maybe, but it's something that really bothered me. I felt like I just was not able to do basic things that my kids apparently needed. Um, I now realize they don't actually need (laughs) all of that, but I took it on as like this moral and personal failure that I think is not uncommon in a lot of women our age who have not been diagnosed and have just been, you know, (laughs) surviving (laughs) up until this point. I don't even know, thinking back, like how I didn't see it. It's so obvious. I feel the exact same way, but I also think what we know about how ADHD shows up in our lives wasn't talked about, which is one of the reasons why a few months back, I had this moment of going, you know, if we're really going to raise awareness for ADHD Awareness Month, we need to tell as many different stories as possible because it is so complex. And the thing is, is that it ebbs and flows. Like 
it completely changes. And and one thing I want to go back to what you said, which I I laugh because I experience it in a different way, but you were talking about play dates, why it was so hard for you to plan play dates and the shame and the sadness that came with that as a as a mother. But I also I've experienced it where I will see people that I'm friendly with or you know we talk about making plans and I'll see them doing things that I'm not invited to and I'll feel bad about it but then I'm not calling them to make plans or I'm not reaching out. And so it is very much this contradiction. And I think that that is the part that's so interesting about what we deal with every single day. It's literally like we are fighting ourselves constantly. Our brain is telling us stories that we know aren't true, but then there's just that internal debate and it's overwhelming. Right. Yeah, totally relate to that. I have a couple of really close friends, uh, one of whom I've been friends with for about 17 years. And (laughs) I mean, she's put up with all of it, but the kind of friendships that I do tend to keep are the kinds that pick up where you left off whenever you do get to see each other. And the kind where you know that (laughs) if you were really in a bind and you needed some help that they would come, you know, no questions asked. So I do appreciate that aspect of my friendships, but I, I don't do well with maintaining superficial friendships whatsoever. Same. Totally the same. And I have found that it's the people who understand what they're getting from me. It's like we can go six days, six weeks, six months, sometimes six years. But I love that I have the ability when we're together to just be in that moment and to pick up right where we left off. And there are just some people, you know, they tend to be more neurotypical people who that doesn't work for them. And those are their boundaries and I have mine. And it stinks that you kind of have to set that up. But I think as adults, we're like starting to finally realize like, oh, I get to make those decisions. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's that, that's been something that has been really nice about this is just learning about (laughs) the the fact that I can choose things for myself and it doesn't make me necessarily good or bad. I've gotten a lot better at setting boundaries. Yeah. And I hope you're getting better at being kind to yourself because I know that's one thing I have to work on. I'm trying. It's a daily battle. For sure. Oh gosh. Some days it's not even daily, it's hourly. Like the <laughs> the emotional dysregulation that happens, you're like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. You you mentioned the pandemic and seeing things come out, which so many of us can relate to. But then you also talked about being a stay-at-home mom, which comes with so many responsibilities. But you mentioned that it highlight some of the things that you aren't necessarily the most proud of. So what are some of the things that when you look at how ADHD shows up in your life right now that you would view on the like, yeah, I don't want this. It's here and I would just really like it to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, well, probably a, <laughs> one of the parts of that that's shown up most recently is that when, okay, a little backstory here. When my now husband and I uh, married, we were living in a, like a 400 square foot apartment in London and Southwest Barnes. Shout out to Barnes. Love that place. Um, and when we moved over 
to Texas, we really just wanted space, right? So we got a house that was way too big. We had no need for that. But at the time, you know, it's what it's what felt right. <laughs> um, but with that space, you know, comes accumulation. And we've since moved twice more. Um, <laughs> the first time into a house that was a bit a bit too small. Um, but now I think we're in a good, a good size for us. But that, that to say, we have so much in storage that I accumulated. And I realize now a lot of that was due to impulse, which is a, a big problem. <laughs> it's getting better. Um, but I kind of just wish that there was like this fairy that could come around and just go through everything that I see in my mind that I don't need or that if I were to come across when I am going through things, I could just throw away. That would be so helpful. Sadly, that is not something in existence just yet. At least not, not that any of us know of. Um, so that's a big thing. I'm really into a purging kind of mindset right now. The problem with that is that I start in one space and then something distracts me maybe even just on the way to the bathroom or something, you know, self-care, going to the bathroom. Um, and, then I'll, and then I'll start in another space. And so there'll be various stations around the house that really just become cluttered. And I, I struggle to maintain kind of order in that sense. It is frustrating because I get mad at myself, but my intentions are so good. <laughs> It's just that my, like you say, my, my brain, it gets in the way and it's like, Ooh, shiny new area. Um, let's go to this. So I, you know, I had a conversation with my husband actually last night and I said, you know, I spent yesterday just cleaning our, our room and making sure that it was like a nice <laughs> space that I could go to and close the door. And that's been on my my radar for a long time, but with our anniversary, I just like, okay, today's the day I have the energy. I'm going to do it. Um, and then I, when we're getting ready to go to sleep, I told him, I was like, you know, I wish I could just have more than one space clean at a time. And then he went off to do something. And then I started thinking to myself, I was like, wait, wait a second. And I started rattling off these spaces. I mean, some of them granted are like the pantry, the guest bathroom, but there were seven in my mind that I have gone through and organized and labeled so people put things back. Um, and I was like, wait, why am I being so hard on myself? I've actually made a lot of progress in the past few months. Um, so, yeah, I would say the organization for me is just the biggest by far. I was like so early in the conversation to get choked up, but it's like hearing you have that positive self-talk, it's like, it's what we've all wanted our entire lives and we haven't figured out how to do it. And it's like, heck yes, Meredith, like good for you. Like you didn't have to have somebody come in and say that to you. And it is so hard, but you're right. We are our own worst enemies. We are always working towards perfection. And I also think too, you know, like you talk about the accumulation and I have struggled with that so much and even just getting rid of stuff, the shame that comes with knowing I spent money on it and I didn't utilize it or it wasn't necessary and then you're in the shame spiral and it's just like, no, you need to get it out of your house. You need to have somebody come, like uh, the magic fairy, <laughs> come and take things and 
But it is so hard because it's not just getting rid of stuff. There are a lot of feelings tied to all of those things, and most of them are negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it it really is. I think we just get, you know, so well, at least for me, I've gotten so used to just automatically reverting to you <laughs> you're stupid. You can't keep things in control. You are this, 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 all negative. Things I would never, ever say to friends of mine in this situation. And <laughs> We get so used to that, that to get to the point where we are just saying, wait, hang on a second, thought, <laughs> where is the proof of that? Like, <laughs> where is it? Because I think challenging those kinds of automatic thoughts, and I think this is a concept of like um, CBT, maybe, um, which I had done some of postpartum when I was in a pretty bad state. Uh, that's really come back into play for me. And I've been doing that more and more. And when I have a negative thought, I'm just like, wait, shut the front door. <laughs> Do they even say that anymore? Probably not. Oh my God. <laughs> I've said it. Okay. I don't know that that makes it cool or trendy or anything, but I've, it's definitely come out of my mouth. Well, trendy in our generation, I guess. Um, yeah. So I think just challenging those thoughts on a regular basis is really important. And sometimes it's harder than others. I know I mentioned that I'm dealing with PMDD as well, which is another diagnosis that a lot of people think is fake. And, you know, I have some gestures for those people <laughs> um, and some words that I'm not sure I can say here. But so about, you know, there's there's a lot of waves that I have to ride with that. And during that, um, some of those more difficult periods, it is harder to challenge that negative self-talk because I just get kind of in this negative shell, <laughs> like a turtle, I guess. <laughs> it's actually a great analogy for it because it's the hard exterior. We get ourselves in there. We don't want any help, but the only way to actually make it better is to get help or is to open up about it. And again, it's that vicious cycle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> You mentioned some of the things that you were seeing with your son that stood out to you and you were kind of able to make the connections. What were some of those? So for him, it was it was a lot of like his biggest thing is just back to the executive dysfunction. Um, but for him, I was seeing a lot of negative kind of self-talk and poor self-esteem. And it's like, you know, I, I struggle with all these things myself, but I have made, and I think I've been pretty good at not doing that in front of my kids. I mean, but they get to an age where, you know, they pick up on a vibe. <laughs> There's only so much you could do. We're, we're handling that kind of differently now, but for him, it was that, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I try not to get choked up, but as a parent, the last thing you want your child who's like five or six saying is that they wish they had never been born. And that's, that's the kind of stuff we were seeing. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I don't even know where he heard that. I don't know how this became <laughs> a thought in his mind that, you know, especially at that age, I don't think children really completely grasp the concept of 
living and death in the same way that adults do. So that expression that came out of his mouth was especially um, kind of alarming. Uh, but also for him, he was he was very hyperactive, not in the kind of traditional bouncing off the walls type of thing, um, but his energy, like you could just feel it. I don't know how to describe it apart from that, but you could just feel it. And he coupled with the kind of extreme impulsivity that he displayed oftentimes. And that tied into the executive dysfunction meant that for him, that looked like meltdowns <laughs> over what to us just seemed like nothing. And a lot of times we couldn't even get him to bring himself to, to talk to us like what it was. I remember thinking it was kind of a breakthrough. This was after his diagnosis, but it was kind of a breakthrough moment when he had this meltdown. Nothing works in that moment apart from just to let him write it out. Like there's no point in trying to be negative. There's really no point even in trying to be positive. You just have to, sometimes he wants you to just sit with him, which <laughs> struggling with ADHD myself is a challenge sometimes. Um, but once he has passed that, that time and you, you can get into his head a little bit, Generally, that is, you know, a few hours later, <laughs> like he's had this meltdown. We've gone about our day once he's recovered. And then we come back to it and talk about it. And it was really a pivotal moment when I said, you know, what's what's going on? What what Bob what's bothering you? And he said, I don't know. And <laughs> I felt like that was really insightful, you know, for a kid. It's like he, he doesn't know. And I, I think that is a big source of his frustration. And I, I recognize that because a lot of times I don't know <laughs> what is going on or why, you know, <laughs> the cheese being in the wrong drawer, like tips me off the edge into rage <laughs> or something, you know, like um, that particular example has not happened, but that just, I don't know why that came to mind. Cheese. <laughs> um, yay. Um, but I recognize that. And I just felt like that was a really, important moment for him. He, I guess, gosh, he got his diagnosis, I guess, in April. And yeah, I mean, it kind of just all went from there. <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time talking about what he told you at that such a young age, because I'm sure that is just something that is so hard to go back to. But I want to tell you, as somebody who had a really hard time as a little kid, saying how I felt or how things or go, you know, what was going on. Like, you should be so proud of yourself as a mother and, and you and your husband that you've created that environment where he could say that to you because you got to get him help. You got to look into it. And there are so many kids who don't have that. So on the days that you are beating yourself up, because I know what that feels like, that is such a gift to him and to your family. And it could have very much been a scenario like you and me where it didn't come out and it wasn't talked about. And so just truly like it's, that's a really powerful thing for me to hear. Like you're creating that environment where your kids feel safe and that's awesome. We are really, we're really trying. Yeah. I want to talk about what you do. You have this diagnosis now. What has changed? What have you added into life? What have you taken away? 
what is working for you right now when you think about how you're managing this new thing in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, it's only been, I've got what, five, six months again, math. <laughs> Another thing that went under the radar. So I'm still pretty new into like, you know, kind of medical, non-medical kind of, I guess it would be actually pharmaceutical. I don't know. Anyway, different interventions, right? Different, different techniques, different skills. And I, I am taking a stimulant med and that, that has helped. I, it helps in certain areas. And this is where I think it's important for people to realize, like, (laughs) it is not a magic pill, at all. Be great if it was. <laughs> I know, right? I wish it was. It has made it possible for me to do other work um, that requires the focus, that requires the attention that otherwise I just could not keep to. I remember the first day, and I think I told you about this, the first day that I took my medication, I cried <laughs> like happy tears. My brain was calm. Yeah, that that that's was truly remarkable. Instead of having, you know, eight, nine different thoughts spiraling in your head at once, to be able to get it down to just two was way more manageable. And in those in that in that period, I realized that this is where it was gonna help. You know, it's going to keep my mind from becoming overwhelmed by things that need to be doing. And again, this is not an everyday thing, you know, it ebbs and flows, but that has made it possible for me to do some other work. The other work, really just acknowledging what works for me (laughs) and not apologizing to the world for it. Like post-its, post-its work. You know, I, when I was teaching, I, they, I would, (laughs) I would get kind of told off in a way because I, I did not like to write lesson plans just all out on a piece of paper, but I had my post-its and you know, that's what did it for me. (laughs) But society says that's not professional enough, whatever. So uh, yeah, that was a problem. (sighs) Oh, the struggles. Um, Post-its, I have to have a visual kind of planning system. I, I try so hard to keep it in my phone, but that just doesn't work. I have to carry around a planner, you know, Filofax style, right? <laughs> um, do they still even make those? I don't know. I, I, I'm sure they, they must, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look it up later. <laughs> um, what else works? I mean, I've honestly, I've had to just come to this almost OCD level of organization. So those spaces that are staying clean, it's because I spent a week probably in each of them, you know, measuring shelves for different containers and putting things in order and labeling everything. And part of that, yeah, is for my family because they, I mean, my kids, their kids, right? But they also struggle with this memory thing. Um, And my partner, I mean, it's, for helping them help me <laughs> and our family and this kind of general chaos, right? So that 
really intense level of organization has helped. The problem with that, of course, is that I I have these periods where I can really hyper-focus on it and I can just keep going. And then there are periods that I don't. So I'll go, you know, a week or two getting a lot done and then a week or two not. Sometimes it's even just a day, a day here, a day there. So that's frustrating. The pill does not fix that. <laughs> I think I've also really become more okay with talking going on in my head. Um, I'll be like, okay, so I'll say something to my husband. He'll say something back. He'll be confused. I'm like, I realize this isn't logical, but that's what my brain does. Like that's where it goes. Um, I've gotten better at telling the kids that saying, you know, I'm struggling right now. I just need a few minutes and then I'll come back. Really, it doesn't always work out so magically, but really trying to give them that positive example as much as I can of acknowledging what you need and not being afraid to tell people. So yeah, that those are a few things that I think you're really working on. <laughs> It sounds like a fantastic start. Alarms. Alarms? Yes. Setting alarms? I have alarms for literally everything. And then like once a month, I'll go through and purge. (laughs) Start over. Alarms have helped me immensely. And I think a part of it is because I can't tell you what five minutes is or 10 minutes. Like there is no – I always joke. So the gym classes I do, we always end with a minute plank. And sometimes the minute feels like 15 seconds. And sometimes the minute feels like – 18 years. And I have no understanding of what time is. And so alarms and setting them. But the problem is, is you have to remember to set them. And thankfully, I think for a lot of us learning how to say, hey, you know who, I can't say it because she'll wake up, set an (laughs) alarm for this or remind me to do this. And it is such a game changer. Yeah, it really, it really has been. And I think before I would have seen that as like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you remember all of this stuff or just, you know, whatever. But now I'm just like, you know, screw you, (laughs) internal hateful brain. Like this works. Not going to apologize for it. I feel that way about names. Yes. I was recently back at uh, the college that I failed out of twice and <laughs> still go to football games, you know, as you're paying student loans, you're like, you feel like you should get something out of it. But <laughs> I kept seeing people from, you know, 2005, 2006, which is so long ago. And I can tell you everything about how we met, how we know one another, what's going on in your life or what had been going on in your life. But I can't remember your name. And I've just gotten to the point where I walk up real confidently and kind of awkward. And I'm like, hey, it's it's Lindsay. Hi. And then they have to say their name because I've said it. And I think it's two things. One, it saves me from the awkwardness of trying to dig through my brain for their name, which is so much work and is kind of painful and embarrassing. And two, they probably don't remember my name. And so it's just like clear in the air. Yeah, that's really that's a good that's a good t- uh, technique actually. I mean, even just this morning, I went I on Facebook. It's like somebody's birthday. I'm like, who is this? Well, if we all could go back and be a little bit more um, particular about who we Facebooked friend when it first started, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. I go through like a purge once a year, honestly. Not a hateful purge, just like a, eh, 
I don't know. Oh, I just don't even touch it. Yeah. (laughs) You've talked a lot about kind of what you saw, but what I love about how you say it is there's so much self-awareness that you have, that you're putting out there for yourself and, and the journey that you're on and like the progresses that you've made. But I'm curious when you look at ADHD and some people call it superpowers. I'm not there yet. It's not something that I'm fully grasping because I'm still dealing with a lot of the grief. But where do you see ADHD coming out in your life that you're like, this is what makes me really special or these are really positive things? So yeah, I think I'm in kind of the same boat. I wouldn't say that I'm like, it's a superpower. (laughs) I think it you know, given the right supports, it can be channeled to be kind of that, but I'm not there. I also went through kind of a big grief process uh, for um, now. I would say things that it is useful for. I am, okay. So I'm currently getting into having to advocate for my kids and all of this. Um, That's really hard. I, you know, I grew up not standing up for myself. (laughs) So I struggle with that still. Um, Standing up for my kids is a different story. (laughs) And I absolutely will bear down and risk, you know, the image that comes with that, but mess with them. (laughs) man. <laughs> I, they are not going to have their self-esteem shot before they're 10. They're not, <laughs> um, at least not on, not without doing everything I can to prevent that. Um, so I think for me, an ability to kind of advocate for people is, um, that's something that I, I tend to be good at. I can do all the research I can speak out (laughs) what I'm not good at is sometimes not getting emotional in the middle of it. And so I have a hard time with that. And then I have to fight my own like thoughts, you know, internalized thoughts surrounding that. Like I'm trying to see it more as passionate instead of unhinged, (laughs) but that's hard. Um, And, you know, I also, I can look back through this new lens on my life and I see how it has negatively impacted literally every part of my life. But I also see how it has given me some of the best parts of my life. I mean, I look back on, you know, when I was finishing my undergrad and deciding to go to grad school, I had a hyper-focused on this, you know, English choral tradition. And I moved over there and met my partner there. And, you know, like I have this whole life because of one of the things of ADHD. So it's hard to say I hate it. I don't think I would go that far, but I don't think I would say I love it either. (laughs) I'm kind of in this gray area. What is exciting you right now? Like when you look at life and it can be with the diagnosis or it can be completely unrelated, what is getting you up? What are you looking forward to? What's 
down the pipeline that you are just energized by? Cooler weather. (laughs) That for sure. Um, You know, we talked about organization and a lot of that needs to happen in my garage, but here in Texas, it's been way too hot. Um, So the weather cooling off is exciting me because it means I can do something that's been on the back of my mind for, well, ever, but especially since we moved into this house. What else? Um, my, I mean, the couple of really good friends I have, honestly, um, I know the society would say my first answer should be my, my kids, <laughs> my husband, and they're a huge part of it for sure. But I've got a couple of really close friends that I, that have their own things that they're going through. And so being there for them, being present and what they need, that is something that's keeping me going. The kind of breadth of possibilities is keeping me going. But the flip side of that too, is that it can be overwhelming. (laughs) Being the advocate for my kids, it's, exciting times for our family, just in the sense that we have really drawn inward and been very, have become very cautious about what we allow into this space. And sometimes that involves who and at what time. And that's hard sometimes to set boundaries with people that you love who may not understand (laughs) And who, you know, you risk hurting the feelings of. And that's that's really hard. But it's been very important for us. So that has kept me also going forward in this direction and just keeping on being better about saying no. I want to wrap this up by asking you, it is ADHD Awareness Month. The whole point of this project is to build awareness about what ADHD actually is and how it presents in life so differently for every single person. I'm curious if there is one thing or a general idea that when you look at the general population who probably have a very outdated idea of what ADHD can look like, is there a message that you wish you could get out there to change some of that? First, I would say, stop dismissing girls. I've even already, even in the professional like expertise that I have sought, I have found more of, an, more of a potential to dismiss my daughter than my son. And that, that's really hard, you know, because I don't want history repeating itself for her. Another thing I would say is (laughs) it has nothing to do with intelligence. (laughs) So many things, so many things that I heard from people when I first told them were like, but you were so smart. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why no one picked up on it. (laughs) Turns out that's a thing. (laughs) And it's not that they were saying that maliciously or anything like that. Uh, I think people are just unaware of kind of how far we've come as far as the research goes. I would also tell them to not just automatically make assumptions about medication. (laughs) I had people also tell me, oh my gosh, avoid this or that. And I'm like, I'm going to listen to my doctors, but I appreciate your input. 
Good for you. <laughs> Everyone's a doctor, right? Right, because Google. Yes. I I have been more proactive about trying to inform the people in my close circle and just learning how I can how I can talk about it better. But I think the biggest thing I wish people would would know, especially since everybody is a doctor because of Google, right? Is that maybe <laughs> maybe they can go learn about it. You know, if someone you love is affected by this, then go and learn about it. That would be my biggest thing. Meredith, I truly enjoyed this conversation. I am really grateful for your willingness to share it with the audience as well. I think the more we talk about it and the more we see kind of the connections, we can talk about the genetic connections. We can talk about like the cycles we need to break. And you touched on so much of that. And I just, I truly appreciate you coming on and being a part of this. And thank you for sharing not only your story, but a lot of your family's story as well. Yeah. Thank you. It's been really kind of cool to be a part of this. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for the possibilities of this podcast and the just the scope of what it is doing, not only for those of us who are learning about ADHD and how it affects our own lives, but also how it can teach the general public. I'm so grateful to Meredith Phillips for sharing her story here with us on Refocus Together. Seriously, Meredith, just a massive shout out of thanks, and I hope we get to connect in person soon. Thank you so much for trusting me with your story. There are so many people to thank for making Refocus Together happen. The entire team at ADHD Online, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandani, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Hector and Kenneth and the team at Snack Media, Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Galbard, Phil Rodeman, Jake Beaver, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod.